Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians 3, Colossians 3, and we're going to uh, do a two-part series, Putting Sin to Death. Tonight, we're going to look at sexual sins. Um, one of the husbands came in while ago, and he said, what are you teaching on tonight? And I said, <laughs> he said, boy, you go for the hard stuff. And I said, well, that's what's in the text. That's where we are. So um, tonight, we'll be looking at the sexual sins we are to be putting to death, and then next week, it will be the social sins that we might call respectable sins, but uh, they're not respectable to God. So we'll be looking at those next week. It really goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. <clears throat> Our nation's in trouble. About six months ago, we began to see a series of sexual allegations. It started, it seemed like, in Hollywood. Day after day, we heard of someone else who was being accused of <clears throat> sexual harassment or um, misconduct. And then we saw it uh, with the Olympics. I read recently about a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic who was also being accused, the government, and it just goes on and on. It doesn't, it seems now to me that almost a day does not go by that I don't turn on the news or read the news and hear about somebody else who has sexually fallen or has been accused of some sexual immorality. It's rampant. It's in the workplace, it's in the government, it's in the home, and yes, I am very sad to say tonight, it's in the church. In fact, do you know accurate statistics on adultery is really nearly impossible to establish because most people are unwilling to admit that they committed adultery. Current statistics today say that approximately two out of every three married men commit adultery and one out of every two wives. In fact, some other studies that I read propose even higher statistics of immorality. Whatever the actual numbers are, the point is this. Adultery is much more common than we would like to admit. In fact, one man said this, there are probably just as many acts of infidelity in our society as there are traffic accidents. And ladies, you know how many of those there are. He further says this, the fact that adultery has become commonplace has altered society's perception of it. He says we won't go back to the times when adulterers were put in the stocks and publicly humiliated or become one of the societies in which adultery is punishable by death. Society, in any case, is unable to enforce a rule that the majority of people break and infidelity is so common it is no longer wrong. Isn't that the truth? End of quote. Now, maybe you're saying, well, Susan, maybe, you know, this is just a problem with non-believers, right? It can't be a problem in the church. I mean, certainly the moral standards of Christians are higher. Well, I'm afraid not. A recent statistic revealed, this, this statistic shocked me and saddened me. 95% of born-again Christians say that they have looked at pornography with 54% indicating they view it at least once a month, and 44% admit they saw it at work within the past three months. 25% of these firm believers confirm they hide their Internet browsing history by erasing porn URLs on their computers and electronic devices. Furthermore, this born-again group, say that nearly a third of them have admitted to having an extramarital sexual affair. I wish they would just call it adultery. That's what it is. 
while they were married. In fact, one man says this, the rate of extramarital affairs appears to have a correlation to frequency of viewing pornography. A married person who views porn several times a month is ripe to have an affair. End of quote. My friend, have we forgotten the seriousness of sexual sin When did you and I forget that God said no adulterer will enter into the kingdom of heaven? I think we need to remind ourselves this evening of what God says about these sins by studying Colossians 3, 5 to 7. So let's read it together and we will um, have an outline for you. Paul says this. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For these things sake the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you also yourself once walked when you lived in them. Now, last week we started, we opened up with the practical section of Colossians. We've had the doctrinal, and now we're going into duty. And we started last week in chapter 3, asking the question, where is my affection? And we saw, first of all, that our affection is easy to discover. Is my affection here on earth, or is it in heaven? Uh, The second thing, the answer lies in what I think. Do I think heavenly things or am I bound to earth? Do I think about earthly things? And then we considered a second question. Why do we seek and think heaven? First of all, because we are dead to self and alive with Christ. And secondly, we seek heaven because one day he's going to appear and we are going to appear with him in glory. And it's really imperative that we consider what Paul has already said in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, because ladies, think about it. If my affections are set on things above, then Susan Joy Heck is not going to be pursuing sexual sins. If my affection is set up there, I'm not going to be pursuing sexual sins. If my affection is here on earth and I am bound to this world, then more than likely, Susan Joy Heck, that might be a temptation for her. Now, I want to say very clearly, Paul is not going to mince words to the church at Colossae, and he's not going to mince words with us either regarding these sins we are to put off. And as I said tonight, we're going to deal with the sexual sins and next week's social sins. So our outline for tonight, we're going to consider the murder of five deadly sins in verse 5, the murder of five deadly sins, and then lastly, the motivation for murdering these sins in verses 6 through 7. So we have the murder of five deadly sins and then the motivation for murdering these sins in verses 6 through 7. And maybe you think murder is a strong term, but uh, just hold on. We'll uncover the Greek and what it means. So let's look at the five uh, sins we are to murder. Paul says, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul begins this section by saying, therefore, which means because of something he's already said, because of what I've already written, because you are dead to sin, because you are alive to Christ, because Christ is going to appear and you are going to appear with him in glory, therefore, because of all that, put to death your flesh. 
Now, maybe you think there's a contradiction in what Paul is saying tonight and what he said last week, because last week we saw that we are dead and our life is hidden with Christ and God, and now he says we need to put to death our sins. I thought you might say, well, Susan, didn't you just say we were dead? Now you're saying we have to put something to death. Listen very carefully. We have died to sin. We have risen to new life in Christ. But ladies, you know what? We still have something that's called flesh. The old man. You know, the spirit indeed is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. And so we have to do our part. Man is responsible. And so we have to do our part to put to death earthly desires. In fact, the words put to death means subdue or kill. That's why I call this murdering these sins. To kill or to put to death. In fact, one translation says mortify, mortify the deeds of your flesh. You know what Paul is saying? Reckon your flesh as dead. Consider your flesh a corpse, a dead body. Mortify it. Ladies, this means we deprive our flesh of its power and destroy it. In fact, the Greek indicates we do it now. Right this minute. I have met some Christians. In fact, I was talking to a gal today on the phone and really kind of broke my heart. But um, that we that we have some uh, responsibility to gradually wean ourselves off of sin. You know, I just need to every day, you know, just maybe I'll just look at five porn sites today and then four the next day and three the next day. Ladies, Paul says, do it now. We, we don't have the luxury of being apathetic about our sin. In fact, Paul is clear. Look at Romans 6. Romans 6, chapter 1. Look what, look what our attitude should be about sin. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? And then he goes on to say, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism unto death, just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of God the Father. And then he goes on to, ta- to down in verse 8. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. Knowing that Christ is raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. And then he goes on in verse 11. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And on and on and on. He talks about presenting your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do not present your members as slaves to sin. Ladies, it's very clear what Paul is saying in Romans 6 and even here in Colossians 3. Now. In Colossians 3, 5, when Paul says, put to death our members, he's not talking about the church members, okay? So don't get your knife out and stab the lady next to you. He's not talking about church members. And I pray to God none of you want to do that anyway, put to death a church member. If you do, then uh, I don't know if we're going to deal with killing next week. But anyway, the member here is a limb or a part of your body. Anything that belongs to your earthly nature, you are to put to death. In fact, one translation reads this, kill all your animal appetites. Kill them. Now think about it, ladies. We use parts of our body as instruments of sin, right? Hands do things that are ungodly. I mean, it's a swipe of your phone that can look at porn, right? Push a little button and you can see pornography. Turn on a TV and a program you shouldn't watch. Feet, go places we shouldn't go, right? 
to the prostitute's house or to other places we shouldn't go. Eyes. Your eyes look at things you should not look at. Mouths speak things that are unrighteous. Ears hear things that are inappropriate. Minds, they think on unwholesome things, right? So that's what he says. Put to death your members. Now, this is important. I know we've, we're out of the doctrinal section, but think what the Gnostics taught. The Gnostics taught it did not matter what you did with your body. You weren't responsible. So you could sin with your members. You could fornicate. You could do anything you want. You could covet. You could lie. You could murder. You could be involved in any evil and not be responsible. Paul confronts this ridiculous idea. And ladies, this is in the church today. Remember that I mentioned several weeks ago about a pastor who told my friend, you know, we we aren't sinners anymore. That's what they believe. You know, you just you can do whatever you want, but we're not responsible. We don't sin anymore. Now, some will try and kill their members in an ungodly way. and We studied that when we uh, ended chapter two on rigid asceticism. Some people went to the ridiculous in scourging themselves for penance for their sins. In fact, I read about a man who wore a belt around his waist studded with nails that constantly tore into his flesh. And he felt by doing this that he was killing his flesh, killing all those animal appetites, or, yeah, appetites as well as suffering to atone for his sins. Now, ladies, is that what Paul means when he says, put to death your members? Am I to mutilate parts of my body so that I won't sin. Is that what Jesus meant when he said, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's better to go into hell with only one eye, or yeah, heaven with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into eternal fire, or cut off your right arm? Is that what Jesus meant? No. Jesus was not speaking literally, even though I actually heard one time a lady teaching, and she said that's exactly what Jesus meant. And so I went and talked to her after the teaching time was over. It didn't go so well, but but uh, I've actually heard people teach that. In fact, one theologian named Origen had himself castrated in order to fulfill what he believed Jesus was saying here. Cut it off. Ladies, is that what Jesus meant? If it is, then we'd all, in, every one of you in this room would be limbless, right? Including myself. And you know what? You'd also be brainless. You would not have a brain. Because if you took this literally and you took what Paul's saying literally, you'd have to cut out your brain because that's where all sin starts, right? With the mind. Oh, I think I'll do that. I know I shouldn't do that. But yes, I will. I'm going to do that. It starts in the brain. Ladies, Jesus and Paul are not calling for self-mutilation, for self-mortification. A death to self and the desires of your flesh. You know, mutilation is the easy way to deal with sin, isn't it? Just cut it off. But mortification, that's that wrestling and struggling with sin. It's like Paul says, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And there's a wrestling there. Ladies, sin cannot be dealt with by legalism, Phariseeism, celibacy, rosary beads. Or any other external means. Do you know a blind man can still lust? He can still lust. He has those images in his mind. An angry woman can still murder in her heart. Lady, sin is an eternal issue, not an issue. And it is an issue of the heart and mind, not an outer issue. Ladies, if we cannot control our thought life, we cannot control what we do with the members of our body. 
we must wrestle. We are at war and we must kill our members. Now, with that in mind, let's look more closely at the five sins that we are to murder. The first one is fornication. Now, the Greek word here is porneia. We get our English word pornography, interesting enough, from this word. In the New Testament, fornication is much broader than just sex outside of marriage. In fact, fornication includes any type of illicit sex. That would include fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, any type of sexual sin. And ladies, as we think about this sin, I hope you would admit, as I will admit, that we are tempted with this sin more than any other generation before us. And you want to know why? Again, because of the availability that we have on our devices. Phone, iPads, computers. And not only that, television, books, magazines, billboards, even storefront windows. I've shared you with you my experience uh, writing letters to Victoria's Secret catalogs about their storefront window, about another storefront window at Woodland Hills Mall that was advertising bestiality. I wrote to both of those. You can't even, I mean, anymore, I can hardly even read my news in the morning on my phone without something popping up. Or my husband and I trying to watch news in the evening. I was like, would those ladies put, please put their clothes on? Um, but it, we, have, we face challenges that generations before us did not face. In fact, I don't know if you know this, Internet porn is a $57 billion revenue worldwide $57 billion revenue worldwide. $12 billion of that is in the United States. And you know what? That's more revenue than combined revenues of all professional football, baseball, basketball franchises. Isn't that crazy? 40 million people in the United States are sexually involved with the Internet. Do you know sex is the number one topic searched on the Internet? Number one topic. Ladies, these statistics should motivate you to guard yourself and your family. And if you don't, you need to. You need to have some protection on your computer. In fact, I was talking to a gal the other night that homeschools her kids, and I sent the link to my daughter because she just pulled her four out of school to homeschool them. And and because um, when they homeschool, sometimes they have a private computer. And this device, this app, sends, if this child is trying to get on anything other than what they're supposed to be on, it immediately sends alert to a parent. And I thought, that is good, and it's much needed. And you hate to have to do that, but you have to do that in our culture. Now, what does the Bible say about fornication? Well, Jesus tells us where it comes from. He says, out of the heart proceeds what? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication. It comes from the heart. Paul says, he says, it's been reported among you that there is sexual sin among you, that one has his father's wife. And he says, the Gentiles don't even do this. Are you kidding? And then later on, he says, get rid of that man. Put him out of the church. In fact, Paul even says later on, I've told you before, he said, don't keep company with a brother. This is a professing brother or sister who is committing adultery. We're not even to eat with such a person. So if you have a Christian friend who is in fornication, adultery, bestiality, homosexuality, you are not to be fellowshipping with her or even eat with her. Ephesians, the sister epistle, Ephesians 5.3, Paul says, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, let it not be named once among you as fitting saints. In fact, in 
1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, Paul writes what's going to happen to those who practice these sexual sins. Listen to this. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived about this, he says. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but now you're washed, you're clean. Can God save an adulterer? Sure. Can he save someone caught up in fornication? Sure. And Paul says, such were some of you. Used to be that way, but now you're washed, you're clean. In fact, I remember when my husband and I lived out in California, he actually shared this verse with a guy. He came home with a really interesting haircut. I said, what happened to your hair, honey? He said, well, I shared that verse about no homosexual entered the kingdom of God. And the guy was a homosexual that was cutting my hair. And he needed to say Doug's hair was kind of really strange in the back. But uh, he shared that verse with him. He was sharing the gospel with, it, with this guy who was a homosexual that was cutting his hair. Ladies, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.13, the body is not for sexual immorality. It's for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord. It is not for sexual immorality. In fact, it goes on in the same chapter to write this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality, what? Sins against his body. And then he goes on to say, do you not know you're, that you're bought with a price? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Ladies, you can't glorify God in your body if you're committing sexual sins. Now, I've just given you a sampling of, of what the scripture says about it. Now, if after all this, and you refuse, or you know someone who refuses, that professes to be a Christian, refuses to put off sexual sins... Do you know a worse thing's going to happen to them? Revelation 21.8 says, The coward, unbelieving, abominable, murderer, sexual, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what's going to happen to them. Well, the second sin we're to put off is uncleanness. Now, what is this? Well, this word means to have a lucid imagination or speech that comes from a sensual heart or a filthy mind. These are evil intentions of your mind. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew. uh, You've heard it was said of them of all, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her commits adultery. So it's lucid imaginations. It's thinking about we might not be outwardly committing a sexual act but will think about it or talk about it. That is uncleanness. The third sin we are to murder is passion, or King James Version says inordinate affection. Now, what is this? This is longing for something that is forbidden. Uh, These are lusts that dishonor those that are involved in them. It's what Paul speaks about in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, where he talks about the lust of sensuality. Paul calls it vile affections in Romans 1, where he talks about God giving them up to a reprobate mind and talking about that women are leaving the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, women burning with lust one toward another, men with men, women with women, and God gives them over to a reprobate mind. So it would include homosexuality, it would include bestiality, would fall under this category of inordinate affection. The fourth sin that we should put to death is evil desire. Now, what is that? Evil desire is a wicked, self-serving, greedy, 
lust. This person, in other words, um, in other words, is out for their own sexual interests. It's greedy lust. In fact, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Um, we all could echo with what Job said. And Job, I wish we all could echo. I don't know that we all do, but I wish we could. Um, Job 31.1, where he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes, and I will not look on a woman to lust after her. Now, ladies, this might mean turning your head at the checkout to avoid filthy magazines. I mean, sometimes just checking out at Walmart can be hazardous to your purity. Um, It might mean not gazing at billboards and storefront windows. Um, Perhaps you need to get some new friends. I'm grieved when I think that devoted Christian women, and I've been around some Christian women, that will sit around and talk in sexual overtones. In fact, I was horrified a few months ago. I was with what I thought were some strong Christians that were laughing about pornography. Ladies, sexual sinners are not laughing in hell right now. They're not laughing. Pornography is not a laughing matter. If you have been in the ministry as long as Doug and I have, 42 years now, we have counseled so many couples whose marriages are ruined because of pornography it's not a laughing matter paul says in ephesians 5 12 it's shameful to speak of those things that are done of them in secret well the fifth sin to murder is covetousness which paul says is idolatry now what is this he's still talking about sexual sin covetousness covetousness is the desire to possess more than you have particularly that which belongs to someone else. Do you know it's one of the Ten Commandments? You shall not cover your neighbor's house or his wife or his male servant, female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is your neighbor's. For example, a man may want to have sexual relationships with a woman who is not his wife. That is coveting. Coveting something that is not his to have. In fact, in the biblical world, some tried to fight this sin in ridiculous ways. In fact, the rabbis taught that if a man wanted to keep his mind on the law, he should not walk on a road behind a woman, even if she is his own wife. Now, ladies, that advice is ridiculous. That does not solve the problem of lust and coveting. Because why? It starts in your mind. The solution for lust is not to cover up women in gunny sacks, but to transform your mind the way a man, or I would say in this case, a way a woman looks at a man. Ladies, we must begin to look at members of the opposite sex as made in the image of God, somebody that Christ died for, not as objects of our lust. In fact, I know Doug and I have had many, many conversations about this. And he says, Susan, I just don't get it. He said, I don't get it. He said, you just make a choice with your mind. And he said, you look at women as objects that Christ died for. These are your sisters in Christ. And uh, we've been married almost 43 years. I've never seen him look at anybody inappropriately, and he better not. But, but um, I have never seen that. And uh, never caught him looking at anything he shouldn't be looking at. Ladies, we must see members of the opposite sex as somebody Christ died for, not an object for our physical gratification. 
Now, why does Paul say covetousness, which is idolatry? Why does he say this? Well, think about it. When you covet somebody that is not yours to have, you know what it does? It turns your heart from God to the object that you covet, right? And that is what? Idolatry. Ladies, what you crave, you worship. And God says what? I will have no other idols before me. And so coveting, which is what? Idolatry, because you want that more than you want God. You want that woman, you want that man, or whatever it is. Ladies, we are to murder these sins. One man says this, carry out this principle of death and kill everything that is mundane and carnal in your being. Another man said this, use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Now, maybe you don't want to kill these sins. You know, I, I hope you do. I mean, I hope none of us are struggling, first of all, with any of these. And maybe you'll have to go home and take a bath after tonight or clean out your mind or something. But if you are involved in any of these sins or you know someone it is and they don't want to kill them, you know, sin does have its pleasure for a season. But, ladies, I'm going to give you two motivations for why you need to put to death or murder these five deadly sins. And these are not mine. These are by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 6-7. Notice what he says. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Ladies, the first motivation for putting off sin, and not just the sins we're looking at now, but even next week when we look at some others, some ones that may be more acceptable. The first reason, motivation, is because the wrath of God is coming. In fact, the word wrath is violent, passionate, punishment and the words is coming the wrath of god is coming suggests god's wrath has already started and it will culminate in the future god's wrath has already started and you can look around i mean just look at what's going on in the world god's wrath has started in fact romans 118 says the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men in the sister epistle ephesians paul writes this about the wrath of god falling on those who practice sexual sins he says this fornication uncleanness covetousness let it not be once named among you neither filthiness foolish talking jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Then he goes on to say, listen, for this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Don't let anyone deceive you about this. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. In fact, ladies, the writer of the Hebrews is very clear in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The wrath of God does come. In fact, Paul says this wrath, this anger of God has come and it will come on the sons of disobedience. What is this? Well, disobedience is a word which describes an obstinate person, a rebellious person. You know what Paul's saying? You guys are saying you're Christians. I wrote to the saints who are at Colossae. But when you're involving in yourself in these sexual sins, you're behaving as if you are sons of disobedience. Not sons of obedience. Ladies, God is holy. He cannot allow sin. And therefore, his wrath does come because of sin. 
And as I said, I think you can see the manifestation of the wrath of God today. Anybody, anybody that has a brain should look around and see that God's wrath is coming. And it is here. And it's going to get worse. And it's no wonder when you consider what our nation, the average Christian, believes. Do you know a recent survey among Christians revealed uh, these things that are, I thought were pretty shocking? 97% of Christians uh, that were reviewed said that God is forgiving. Well, I, I think he's forgiving too. 96% of them said he's loving. I agree with that. Few farer believe that God is judging. Only 37% of Christians said that God was judging or punished those who do wrong. 19% believe, 19% of the Christians that were surveyed said they believed that God punished those who did wrong. Only 19%. So now I know why we're in trouble. Ladies, I'm amazed at people who tell me they have no fear of disobeying God. I can assume they don't take God seriously. They have no fear of judgment. If we don't take God seriously, then we can safely say, I don't take my marriage seriously. I don't take the raising of my children seriously. I don't take faithfulness seriously, sexual purity, humility, repentance, honesty, faithfulness, lying, cheating, stealing. Why should I? Why should I? If I don't believe that God is serious about what he says, I shouldn't take any of those things. I could just go back to Gnostic heresy, right? Ladies, if we don't believe God is serious about what he says, then why should we obey him? Why should we put off these sins? I hope you teach your grandchildren and children to fear God. Have them memorize scripture which deals with this topic. Hebrews 10.31 would be a great one. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. It's a great place to start. Do you know Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, would fall on skeptical ears today? I mean, that was a sermon he preached in a monotone voice, and they were so terrified afterwards. They were holding on to the columns in the church, fearful that the, the earth was going to open up and they were going to fall into hell. But if he got up today and preached that sermon, he'd probably be mocked. One man said it well, the Christian cannot move in and out of Christ's lordship whenever it becomes inconvenient or convenient. Holy living is rarely convenient, and we should never forget the looming wrath of God, which brings certain punishment. Even when it seems we've gotten away with it, it gestates within us. Consequently, Paul insists our unethical behavior, which belongs to our old life, must be discarded like old rags or cut out like a cancerous tumor before it destroys us, end of quote. Well, Paul gives one more reason for murdering, one more motivation for murdering these sins. Look at verse 7. He says, In which you yourselves also once walked when you lived in them. So, ladies, motivation number two for murdering these sins is that these sins are an indication of our old life, not our new life. In fact, once walked is an indication that Paul is writing to believers. He's writing this to Christians, but they're behaving like unbelievers. He said, you guys already did this stuff once. You already were occupied with this stuff once. But this is not how a genuine believer behaves. Why? Because our life is hidden with Christ in God. In fact, the sister epistle says it well. And you who he made alive, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. You used to be a son of disobedient. 
but you're not anymore. You're not anymore, ladies. Ladies, even though the Gnostics were telling them they were not responsible for the deeds done in the body, Paul makes it clear they are responsible. You used to walk this way. This is not how you walk now. Well, what are the five sins we must murder? Fornication, uncleanness, passionate, evil desire, and covetousness. Are you murdering these five deadly sins? If not, why not? If your affection's set here, then your earthly members more than likely have not been put to death. Maybe you need some motivation for killing these sins. Paul gives two motivations. First of all, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of those who disobey. And secondly, these sins are an indication of your old life, not the new life. Do you believe that God's wrath will come on you if you choose to disobey him? Does your walk look more like the new woman or the old woman? Ladies, if you're struggling with these sins or any others, and you may say, you know, I'm scot-free tonight, but just wait till next week. i a little more personal. Well, I'm be taking attendance next week, but I want to really close. I want to give, I want to be an encouragement. I want to give hope, okay? Um, I want to encourage you as we close by giving you eight helps on how to overcome sin. The first thing is this. Make no provision for your flesh. Paul talks about that. Romans 13, 14. Do not make provision for your flesh. Ladies, don't accommodate fleshly lust. If you do struggle with any of any sexual lusting or sinning, you need to determine where does that come from and flee from it. Now, this might mean that you throw away your telephone, your cell phone. I know that would be painful. Your television, whatever it is, get rid of it. I think I've shared with you the story about Elizabeth George. She shares this in one of her books. She couldn't stop gossiping. So she didn't talk on the phone for three months so that she could get rid of gossip. But ladies, wouldn't you rather lose the world than lose your soul? Really? I mean, seriously. Secondly, fix your heart on Christ. We've been talking about this in Colossians. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there's your heart. You will become like the object you worship. So if you worship Christ and enjoy him and he's sufficient, then that's who you're going to become like. If you worship sexual lusts and all that, then that's what you're going to become like. Number three. I've hit this drum so many times, you're probably tired of it. Memorize God's word. You know a a verse you've all probably all known from a child? Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So I might not sin against God. Ladies, think about God's word throughout the day. Adjust your schedule to have thinking time and memorization time. Number four, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Ladies, when you're tempted in an area of sin, pray about it. Plead for God's help. Fast if you need to. Um, I know one time I was really struggling in an area, and I had a little post note uh, that every time I opened my bathroom drawer, it was there, you know, Uh, the verse that I needed to, to be meditating on. But beg God for mercy, beg him for help. And I know sometimes we can't prevent those thoughts that come into our mind, but they don't have to stay there. They don't have to build a nest there. But cry out and ask for God's mercy and help. Number five, exercise self-control. 
Do you know self-control is one of the fruit of the spirits? Now, the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. Just say no. I heard uh, John MacArthur say one time that um, he just denied. I can't believe he does this, but he just denies himself a hot fudge Sunday just to say no, you know. And I was like, give me, I'll give me his hot fudge Sunday. But um, you know, sometimes just say no. Just practice self-control. Number six. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ladies, yield to what, when, when the Holy Spirit says, and I'm not talking audibly, but he says, Susan, don't, don't look at that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Obey it. Don't grieve him. Don't quench him. If you do, you'll become insensitive to sin. You don't want to reprobate mind. So when you hear that still small voice, listen to it. Number seven, find someone to hold you accountable and pray for you ladies i can't emphasize this enough um the christian life is not meant to be tackled alone the bible says a man who isolates himself brings himself to destruction i remember one time i don't know if rita remembers this but probably over 10 years ago i was really struggling in an area and uh prayed about it fasted about it and uh finally i got with rita and i said i need help I need help. And so I had her hold me accountable. Do you remember that? She, she, she still slept since then. But um, it was an area I just couldn't get victory over. The Christian life is not meant to be tackled alone. Find someone to hold you accountable. Pray for you. Tell them your real faults and to help you. And then number eight, lastly, keep an attitude of humility. Ladies, don't ever think these sexual sins will not tempt you. 1 Corinthians 10:12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. You know, I know many men and women who have fallen prey to sexual sin because they just thought they were above it. I know when Debbie and I travel, I mean, I, I, she probably thinks I'm crazy, but sometimes, you know, we have guys come over and talk to us, and I'll say, you talk to them, I'm running the bathroom, I'm married, you're not. But, uh, I, I mean, Doug sometimes has accused me, goes, you just hate men. I said, no, honey, I don't hate men. I just don't want to put myself in any position. And we have a rule in our home. I'm not in the home. Uh, you know, he's not in the home with another lady unless I'm there, and I'm not in the home with a man unless he's there. Just don't, we don't put ourselves in any place to be tempted. But don't ever think you couldn't be. Don't ever think, oh, I would, I would never commit sexual sin. Because once you start thinking that, Beware, because that's pride. So keep humble. One man said this, and with this I close. Are you putting to death your sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always putting it to death while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you will help us. We live in the midst of an evil, corrupt, immoral world. And, Lord, I know that there's no temptation, but such as is common to man. And we read the Old Testament and even the New Testament. And we read of very provocative sexual sins that went on, even in Genesis. But, Lord, it does seem that we have more access to them because of technology. I do pray, God, that you would help us as women to guard our hearts and our minds and help us to help our husbands, Father, and to make sure that they too are staying pure and our children, our grandchildren, 
our friends that may be caught up in sexual immorality. I pray that you'll help us to be a real friend and confront them. So, Father, as we go to our groups, I pray that you'll guide in our time and may it be rich as we think through what your word says and how we can better fight this sin in our own members. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.